And now it's time for Guaranteeing Your Retirement with your host, David Graham from Graham Capital, an estate planning and investment management firm right here in Florida. Here's your host, David Graham. Good morning. This is Dave Graham, the retirement guy, and you're listening to Guaranteeing Your Retirement on this beautiful, beautiful day here in, in the month of April in the state of Florida. Great, great weather. I'm telling you, we look at all these storms and everything going on through the Midwest and, and the Northeast, and I'm so thankful we have 80 degrees in the shade and Blue skies. What more can you ask for? This show is brought to you by Graham Capital Advisors. We're the people that you come to when you're getting ready to retirement and you want to do it properly. You want to do it correctly. You want to go to someone that is just as concerned about your retirement as you are. As you are. What you don't want to do is go to somebody that says, we can do it all for you. We're doing great. Come on and see us, and then they're going to charge you 400 bucks to do an analysis. That's the kind of person you want to stay away from because he's selling you widgets. And every time he talks to you, he's going to be sending you another bill for something. You go, you go to people you listen to on the radio and TV, that's all you're going to see. First thing you should always ask professional is, do you have a professional designation? Are you a certified financial planner? Are you a certified estate planner? My gosh, it so frustrates me sometimes when people come into our office and they come from someone else that put them into some kind of investments or some kind of a bad annuity or life insurance policy. And they don't know what to do because they realize they made a mistake. God forbid that happened to you and you're listening to me. Maybe we can help you. Maybe we can help you, especially if you have like an annuity. Right now, interest rates have risen. So you're not stuck in any bad annuity. If you have, you have one that's paying low returns, come and see us. Let's put it in our computer. Maybe we can find something for you that will give you a much bigger bang for the buck than what you're getting right now. But you got to take the first step. Graham Capital Advisors, we love what we do. We take pride in our profession. We're members of the National Association of Insurance and Financial Advisors. Come and see us. Go to our website, schedule an appointment. We've got offices in Sarasota and Tampa. We also have one in Venice. And we now have one and also Washington, D.C. on K Street. Go to our website. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. That's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. All right. I don't know if you saw this one in the news. We always start every show with a little levity here. Man in China, he was sentenced to prison when he scared 1,100 of his neighbor's chickens to death. Seems these two guys were feuding, and he went on the other guy's property at night with a flashlight Scared the hell out of the chickens. So they all ran into one corner of the pen and they all trampled on one another. China, you got a year in prison by doing that. Fun fact of the week. According to Pablo Escobar's wife and his son, he would cheat while playing Monopoly with his family by hiding extra money wherever he planned to sit. Hmm. Think about that one for a second. Here's the quote of the week. Many folks think they aren't earning good money when they don't know how to use it to begin with. Remember, what you got is what you got. And so many people 
they actually make money and they lose it before they can even get it to the bank. So be careful with it. Respect it. Federal crime of the week. We always have to start each show off with one of these. It's a federal crime to sell earwax remover without telling people that they should see a doctor just to make sure they don't have excessive earwax after, before or after using it. And 45 years ago, April 16th, 1978, the Blues Brothers made their first appearance on Saturday Night Live. If you remember that, you're getting old, buddy. You're getting old. Oh, I'll tell you. It's a beautiful day out. I love being in Florida this time of year. I look out the window as I'm talking to you, and I think, my gosh, I'm so, so lucky to be here. Only problem we have in Florida today is the roads are getting busier and busier and busier. And there's a reason for it. People are realizing it's a lot nicer here than being stuck in the Miami Valley in Dayton, Ohio. I can tell you that. There's so much going on now in the world of business. I, I, I sometimes don't even know where to begin with things that are happening. But when you look at how people spend their money frivolously sometimes, don't know where they're going and what they're doing, uh, they... When they go to advisors, for example, you know, not everybody needs a financial advisor. You know, other people need them desperately, but not everyone necessarily understands what advisor and what kind of credentials they should have. And think of these, see if any of these apply to you. Sometimes someone thinks they don't need an advisor, but they really do. Could that be you? Do you self-direct everything on your own? And you have someone who thinks they don't need an advisor and they're right. That means simply because they have a professional background. A lot of attorneys can self-direct what they have. Obviously, someone in the financial industry understands also the rights and wrongs, but that's what they do for a living. You might not need an advisor. But then what about someone who thinks they need an advisor, but they really do, again, because when you look at what, what do you really look for when you go to someone giving you guidance? You want somebody, if anything, to reconfirm what you're doing is correct, much less give you a second opinion. Again, at our company, it, it's, we, we try to help everyone with everything. You know, sometimes they need investment help, but not necessarily financial planning. That means they've done it. They have a good plan, but they just haven't invested wisely. And that goes vice versa. Sometimes, you know, planning is helping, but but not necessarily investing. So again, there's a lot of intricacies that going in to creating a retirement plan. And remember, it's legal planning, investing. And of course, last but not least, sometimes we have someone that comes in and they desperately need help with everything, with everything. We've had people come into our office with a shoebox full of statements and envelopes that they haven't even opened yet. So if you feel that that could be you, by all means, come and see us. Go to our website, schedule an appointment. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. You know, one of the things that we're seeing now because of inflation, rising interest rates, and do you really need to invest or not? Do you have an investment or do you not? What do you really own? You know, sometimes people, they justify calling whatever they've done an investment even though what they purchase doesn't really qualify as an investment. So let me give you some examples and tell me if this, this applies to you. 
as far as what you really have. Um, let's say I have a long commute to work and I really need a reliable vehicle. So I decided it's a good investment to spend a little bit more money on a nice car. Well, is that an investment? Yeah, you could say it's an investment because you got to get from point A to point B. You're investing in yourself. You need to get to work. You need to go to the grocery store. You need to exist in life, especially here in Florida. There's, there's not really a train system to go anywhere. So that's an investment. What about my wife nags me about the losses, about, about the boxes of old baseball cards that I keep in the attic, but I have to keep reminding her that they're an investment. Well, if your wife doesn't understand old baseball cards have an intrinsic value, they're a collectible. They, yeah, they are gaining, gaining monies. Who knows how much, but the longer that you have them, the more value they're going to have to some collector. So you have to kind of explain that to her. Okay, what about this one? We're putting in a screen porch. It will cost a little bit more than we expected, but it's a good investment in our home. Well, what does a screen porch do for you? Depending on your home, 90% of the time, it's going to increase the value of your home. But even more importantly, it's going to be giving you a screen porch to go into, and that gives you quality of life. You're going to be enjoying going out there without the bugs eating you up. So you can say that's a good investment. What about this one? The company is doing well as it is, but I think we can grow a lot faster by hiring this person. So we decided to make that an investment. Well, is that an investment? It's all predicate on who you hire. And if they can get the job done, that's kind of an unknown. You know, you might as well just go to the casino and, and gamble or buy lottery tickets. You never know until you make the change, whether it's going to be a good investment or a bad investment. What about we found a piece of land in the mountains that's for sale? And what seems to be really a good price. So we might buy it and eventually build on it and hold on it as an investment. Well, they're not making any land anymore, especially in the mountains. So it could be a long-term investment, but you know, you should keep what you have just with inflation. Property values will always go up with real estate. I always tell every young person I know, if you can have the capacity of buying anything that's, that's land or a home, by all means, try to buy it because you won't lose your money. Very seldom, if ever. We're not going to have a crash like we had in 2008. They've passed laws now, so that would never happen. But inevitably, just through inflation, your property value will go up. It vacillates, but you're, it's a safe investment. More millionaires have been created in America by owning property and real estate than any other investment. Stockbrokers won't tell you that, but I'll tell you that. How about one more? This stock seems to be rising quickly. I'm investing in 100 shares, so I can hopefully make a quick buck and then sell later on this year and then take a nice vacation. Well, is that investing or is that sheer speculation? It's quite possibly shares can go just as down just as quickly, and then you're going to be stuck with, with a bunch of turkeys. So you can't really call that an investment. People look at the word investment they have different meanings to it and what it actually means to them. You, could, you have that problem. You're not sure what you're doing or what you have. Come and see us. Graham Capital Advisors, we can cover it all for you. We can make sure you're going on the right track. Give you a plan to follow just in case you get off the road. You know how to get back on the plan again. And the last but not least, make sure we invest your money in such a way that's appropriate for you. So if something does happen in the markets especially, it's not going to be traumatic for you. 
you know, we take pride in what we do. We can help you. Go to our website, schedule an appointment. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. We have the infamous James Burlander working the boards for us today. Good morning to you. Hey, good morning. Okay, what kind of questions we get in the mail? We got uh, just a few questions today before we go to Stosh. Paul in Tampa wrote in, I have a life insurance policy that I've had for many years, and I was able to stop paying premiums more than a decade ago while keeping the policy in place. But... I just got a letter that I need to start paying again to keep the policy. What do you think happened? Well, the kind of policy that you have is probably universal life. And what they had you do a decade ago was called a VOP, a variable outlay plan. That means you had an increase in your dividends of the policy that then start making the payment for you. But as you got older, your mortality costs start rising. So they needed more money to cover that. And then, predicated on how they had it invested, you just simply weren't making enough. Uh, usually what you do if you're getting older is to have the insurance agent come over and sign a form stating that you're going to keep freeze, freeze the death benefit exactly where it's at. And you might have a writer in the policy that would allow you to do that. And if you do, usually they do, uh, do that and then just have any dividends you come go into what's called the increase in cash value in the policy just to maintain it. That's what my recommendation is. If you have any problems with that, come into our office and I'll be happy to help you. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. What else you got, Jim? Next up, Liz in Riverview wrote in to say, I have whiplash from watching the market for the past few months. What can I invest in that won't be so volatile? Well, <laughs> number one, if you're in the markets, it's always going to be volatile. But, it's, it, but the question is, what's your risk propensity? And how much stress can you take in your life? There's a lot going on now. You always hear these cliches, go away in May and come back in October. Well, guess what? This year, there's so many major indicators that are pointing to a downward trend, even though some of the market is staying up. In, in, in stock market jargon, they refer to that as a dead cat bounce. No one knows. We have a midterm election coming up, the potential of a government shutdown. You have to be very, very careful. My suggestion is to come in and see us. Let me see. Let us see where you're at. Let's see what's important to you. Let's see what kind of risk you want to take. We can give you some guidance. Again, website address is GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. Got one more there, Jim? Yep, one more. Last one before Stosh. Grace up in Newport Ritchie has a question. She says, I'm 67 and probably will fully retire in the next year or two. Right now, I have the opportunity to reduce my hours at work from 30 to 20 per week, which would make a huge difference for me in the grueling hospital setting that I work in. But that would reduce my income enough that I'd need to start supplementing it from somewhere. Would it be better to start my Social Security or start withdrawing from my uh, retirement accounts? That's a good question. If you're 67 years old, you've already been getting a an 8% return, it just starts an 8% return annually to the age 70. If you can hold off and you want to keep that 8% coming to you to your 71, 72, then by all means draw from your, your 401k, your IRA. But the norm is once you're going to start retiring, take your social security, lock it in. That's a given. You paid into your entire life. You want to make sure that God forbid something happened to you, you're going to be getting it. And then when you reach full retirement age, you're totally retired, then you could start tapping into your 401k or 43b, 457, for anything to supplement your income. But 
that would be my recommendation to you. Again, it's very important that you make the right decisions when it comes to withdrawing it with your retirement money. You just don't want to do it arbitrarily because like, for example, Social Security, once you do it, it's that's it. You can't go back. So you don't want to make a mistake with that. So that be said, come and see us. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. And online, we have Stosh Graham, the Chief Investment Officer, Managing Director of Graham Capital Wealth Management in Washington, D.C. That's GrahamCapitalWealth.com. Good morning to you. Good morning, David. Well, here we are, another week, going into the month of May. What, what's the markets look like, Stosh? You know, the, you always say the proverbial, go away in May. What are you suggesting to people? What should you look for? Right. Uh, you know, I, I think the most interesting dynamic that you've seen in the last two to three weeks is a mixed picture of economic indicators where you, you have some leading economic indicators that continue to put, show negative. Uh, you've had some coinciding indicators recently turn negative, like jobless claims, for example. We have noticed a uptick in the amount of jobless claims being filed, and that's on a week-over-week basis. Uh, continuing jobless claims continue to trend higher. That's not good. Uh, but you have seen lately some services data, which indicates strength. And where I think this is interesting is for the three months prior, the services part of the economy had shown weakness. And that was a stronger part of 2022, or for most of 2022, the services portion of our economy grew and was a positive contributor at the same time when manufacturing was negative on a downward slope. Now, manufacturing overall continues to show a negative bias, uh, but recently the services portion of the economy actually has shown strength in the last month. So I think a lot of people are saying, okay, it's just, just a one-month type of situation where, or excuse me, one-month show of strength, and then it's going to start turning lower with the overall economy. Uh, and again, I think that's where people are, you know, that's the billion-dollar bet right now uh, in terms of where people are, are uh, allocating their capital. And all this it's happening at the same time when the Federal Reserve, in a matter of um, the next month, is going to raise interest rates again another 25 basis points. I think the wow. odds-on bet is, and considering some of the recent commentary from some of the uh, 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 voters who sit on the FOMC, the Federal Open Market Committee, um, those people are going to raise interest rates, which is going to make capital more expensive. It's going to put the banking industry under a little bit more pressure. And again, overall, it's going to make uh, credit harder to get. Well, it seems that the U.S. our inflation now is coming down much faster because they start tightening credit after a couple of those bank failures. And I noticed where Bloomberg now, they have a survey that says we still have a, the odds of a recession at 65 percent for next year. Uh, is is that too rosy a picture, or do you think that is very real? That sixty five percent. Well, it depends on the time frame, and it depends on. Uh, I mean, if you look at various models, if you look out twelve months, Bloomberg has a model that's a hundred percent odds of a recession. 
you have the Federal Reserve staff themselves in the March minutes that were released. So every meeting a month later, the minutes get released. So you get to see all the discussion points amongst staff and uh, 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 voters voting and uh, non-voting members. And their consensus is we're going to have a recession, a mild recession, in their opinion, later this year. But I think the dynamics of what we've seen recently within the banking industry, and we've said this before, but it bears mentioning, this situation the banking sector is dealing with last month, really last month, uh, but there's a continuing lag effect to that where it's making credit more expensive. It's making credit tougher to get because it's not a matter of just people wanting loans, which we know is weak. People have not, by and large, loan growth from the of a demand perspective is below average compared to where we were two years ago. But it's also on the supply side. Banks need to be well capitalized to offer to be comfortable offering loans and especially growing their loan book. And right now, you have a lot of banking executives playing defense, trying to retain the deposits they have, but manage their balance sheet. Uh, And it would not be surprising to me in the next couple of months if you have a lot of regional banks having to do capital raises because regulators look at their book and say, hey, you know what? You need to raise some common stock equity uh, uh, to increase the amount of liquidity that you have available or or for whatever reason, Um, but to stabilize the bank. But at the same time, that bank is going to have to pair its asset exposure and uh, to uh, a loan to a bank. If they issue a loan, that is an asset to a bank. Uh, and I think you've already seen it in some of the recent banking, uh, 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 most banking data that we've seen, combination with the banking executives who have discussed on their most recent earnings calls over the last week, week and a half, where they're projecting further declines in the growth rate of new loan issuers. Right. Well, I noticed you know, when we had the issue with the bank stash and Goldman Sachs, for example, they're kind of doubling down on this rosy outlook that they have for, for U.S. credit. You know, they're standing firm with this bull, bullish outlook for U.S. credit. You know, they simply are saying that companies – they can withstand even tighter standards, you know, triggered by those banking failures we had back in March. And what would that do? And if they are correct in saying that, how is that going to affect the economy? Or even so, how would it affect Joe the Plumber and Joe Sixpack with investing? Right. So the, the important takeaway in regards to this is credit is the blood. It is the lifeline of the U.S. economy. You need to have ready, available credit, and ho- hopefully, you, you would hope, affordable credit uh, to allow the economy to grow to build on itself. A lot of businesses rely on having credit to be able to make business investment. And if it's a combination of credits becoming more expensive, which we know that's not even a question, we've seen what the Federal Reserve has done, pair that with credit being less available Again, that acts as a material headwind on future economic growth. It makes business executives and makes those decisions about what they're going to do with that capital uh, once they're able to get it that much tougher. And so that is the environment we're in right now. And it's one of which, again, I think if you're thinking about putting new capital into risk assets like stocks, you need to say, okay, 
does the, the company that I'm investing in, do they have a good balance sheet? Do they have little debt? Is that debt manageable? So the next couple of years, say we enter an economic recession and capital markets close and they can't refinance bonds, uh, do they have the ability to take care of those bonds by themselves, whether through the existing cash they have, whether through a variety of credit facilities or revolvers that are available to them, or are they, are they going to be able to generate cash? Now, typically through an economic recession, organically generating cash is a tough endeavor. Usually you need to be invested in a non-cyclical company uh, to be able to project a high degree of confidence that they're going to be able to generate positive cash flow through an economic recession. So I, those are some of the dynamics you have to look at. But remember, in a stock market fall that is associated with an economic recession, generally speaking, it doesn't matter if the quality of the company you're invested in is good or not, everything is going to trade lower. Uh, you know, what we saw last year was not a recession-related pullback in the market. That was just a sheer overvaluation and at a time when interest rates were materially increasing and that created a lot of selling pressure from a variety of algorithms, which remember algorithms make up a majority of our trading now. It's not human beings, it's computers. And one of the foundational variables of all these equations that algorithms use to determine fair value is the U.S. Treasury interest rate, whether it's the 10-year, the 5-year, 20-year, 30-year, that is one of their foundational variables to determine what's the fair value of a stock and whether to buy or not. Well, let me ask you this. I, I had a client come in the other day, and we started talking about about the economy and, of course, politics with the midterm elections after the, with uh, Congress now being controlled by the Republican Party. And, and he asked me, and I didn't really know how to answer this, now that you have a new Congress, what can they do? How can they use the debt ceiling that we have now to somehow get America to go back to work again? You know, they have to compromise with the White House on this debt ceiling. But what can they use as an incentive to try to help our economy and, and you know, our economy to grow and people to work? Is there something you could think of offhand? Uh, I personally, right now, I, I am not optimistic that you are going to see a increase in the debt ceiling. Uh, the recent commentary is very negative in those regards. And I think if you were to ask people two months ago, what are you more concerned about when it pertains to a government shutdown? The increase of the debt ceiling or the budget and being able to fund a government and agree on a budget for the for the next year. Um, and those have two different time frames. In regards to the budget, it's a September-October uh, uh, time period. And for the debt ceiling, that's a little bit of a moving target. It depends how you believe this year's tax receipts and you know, tax day was just a few days ago. It depends right. what you project in terms of tax receipts. If you believe this is going to be a subpar year for tax collection, then you might be thinking June or July in terms of when the debt ceilings hit and we need to raise the debt ceiling or the government shuts down. If you think it's an adequate number this year or maybe a slight increase, maybe we get to August. But it's a summer event. 
and the budget is a fall event. Both events could create a government shutdown, which would be very much so a negative for the U.S. economy and a negative for uh, risk assets like the stock market. Sure. Now, getting into something more domestic here, right now, you take Ford stock. Ford stock, I guess, the last earnings thing, so they lost billions of dollars. Well, they had the most popular pickup in America, the F-150. And then they created the Lightning, the the electric electric truck, uh, and there was a tax credit to, to to anyone that actually purchased one. Uh, I, I just noticed on the news that where Tesla now, instead of going having a high end a car that would battle, let's say Mercedes, they're going for the the Ford customer, you know, the more average American, not the high price cars. Where do you see the electric car market going with the data that you get in front of you as concerning the viability of it uh, now and in, let's say, in five years? Would investing in a company like Ford or any company that puts emphasis on electric vehicles, would that be an investment? See, this is where I struggle. I do not believe the viability, at least in the near-term, electronic vehicles one, I don't, just don't think it's economical. And two, I struggle to see how we are going to be able to build out a true dominant type of vehicle in the coming decade when we don't have the resources or materials to be able to do it. Uh, and so from an investment perspective, I would say absolutely not. Uh, one of the, one of the, I think one of the major reasons just in the short term is you, we talked about loan growth. And we talked about the feasibility of getting loans from banks. Auto loan debt right now is extremely expensive. Uh, and it, it's projected to be expensive for at least the next couple of quarters, if not, if we're being honest, probably a year or two. Uh, and that's commentary from a lot of different banking executives that, that practice within the respective space. Ally Financial, uh, which is one of the largest auto lenders in the world, just reported their earnings a few days ago, and executives talked about the material decline in the amount of people looking for auto loans. Well, obviously, if people aren't looking for auto loans, well, they're probably not in the market for a car. Uh, and so you, it, there's a high correlation in terms of the really, and I think this is pretty logical, of people looking for lo auto loans and people buying cars. Uh, and so, again, that paints a very tough picture for auto manufacturers over the next couple of years. And again, this is off a very tough period for them where they were just two years ago were having material supply issues. Uh, they needed chips. They needed certain parts to be able to build cars. Uh, cars are so advanced now that it wasn't necessarily having access to steel or aluminum or whatever you're using, a composite that you're making the frame of the car. It was, it was a chip. It was a three-centimeter uh, by five-centimeter chip that was preventing the cars from being finished and, and usable. Uh, so, again, the dynamics that automakers have had to navigate was very tough the last couple of years. Now the problem is you had so many people buying used cars, or if they were able to get access to a new car, they bought it last year. And you're seeing the bullwhip effect now, in my opinion, take shape where it's just going to – it pulled so much demand forward through a tight period in time, a two, two-and-a-half-year window out of COVID, during and out of COVID, 
that right. now it's pulled forward demand uh, in a way from, say, 2023 and 2024 uh, uh, demand for cars. Well, that, let's go to the other side of the equation with uh, gas prices and energy markets. What, what does the energy sector look, look to you for the next two years? So this is, I think, the, the, the tough part for energy. In the short run, you could see downside pressure because if you go into a global, or a global recession, I don't think it's necessarily going to be just a U.S. recession. I think you're going to see most of the globe be in recession. And being that energy is a very cyclical commodity, uh, it, would, it would be fair to conclude that energy prices would come under pressure. Now, with that being said, the two to three year timeline coming out of a recession you would figure there will be material tailwinds, and structurally, there are still tailwinds in place, which would indicate higher energy prices. Or, really, if energy prices stay where they are in the mid-80s, energy companies are going to make billions and billions and billions of free cash flow, which will either be paid out in cash dividends or buybacks in stock. There will be a lot of return of capital. Uh, and not much in the way of growth. Uh, and again, I think when you look at this, there are ways to quantify that dynamic. When energy companies spend money to either try to uh, put new wells into a, a, a basin or a land that they own, uh, or if they try to expand their footprint for land, that's a capital expenditure. And so you could quantify the relationship between capital expenditures in your assets. And right now, capital expenditures in, in relation to total assets of the energy sector is below 2014, 2015 levels. Now, it's higher than where it was a year ago, but it's still well below the norm, not only of really 2014, 2015, it's below the average norm of the last 10 to 15 years, which would indicate management teams are not spending that much money uh, which, again, is consistent with their commentary over the last couple of years in terms of spending a lot of money to get new wells in the ground to increase production. We're seeing an increase in production, but not a material enough to say, oh, boy, we could be over-drilling uh, and we could see a material decline in energy prices independent of an economic recession. You know, it's, it's so much going on now. One last question. You know, we're very happy here in the Tampa. Tampa Bay area because we have the Lightning in the playoff, Tampa Bay Lightning, and we have the Rays with a 16-3 and record to start the year. But I noticed on the paper today that you actually have the Oakland Athletics moving to Las Vegas. How is that going to disrupt the market in Oakland, much less what it will add to Las Vegas from a, from a sports perspective? Well, I mean, first and foremost, Vegas has seen a material growth uh, in population where it's not necessarily just tourism, which is still the major cog. You've had people move there to live there, and, I, and that has certainly created one of the more faster-growing cities in the country. Oakland has come under material pressure over the last few years. Uh, uh, it's not exactly San Francisco. San Francisco. They're divided by a bridge, but there is a high degree of relationship between the two. Um, and again... Uh, is it surprising that the Oakland Athletics followed the Oakland Raiders to Las Vegas? Probably not. That's probably right. been one of the more publicly discussed situations. But it will further 
uh, business growth and economic growth in Las Vegas at the expense of Oakland. Right. Well, hopefully it won't happen in the Tampa Bay area with the Rays. Hopefully they'll find a stadium and not move anywhere, to say the least. But obviously ha- having a team like that move is always going to disrupt the community. There's no, no end of the buts about it. So only, only time will tell. Buddy, as always, we appreciate your sound sage advice, and we'll be talking to you next week. You take care. Absolutely. Take care, David. See you now. You know, if you're a new listener to the show, Stash Graham is our chief investment officer, managing director of assets under management for Graham Capital Advisor clients in Washington, D.C. He's located on K Street, simply the best of the best. This past last year, when people were losing 10 to 20 percent of the portfolio, it was pretty much breaking even. Depending on just what your risk propensity was, you might even made a point or two, much less lose a point or two. So if you're getting tired of the Wall Street roller coaster and you want true guidance on your investing, doing it the old-fashioned way where you earn it, come and see us. Go to my website. Our website address is grahamcapitaladvisors.com. That's grahamcapitaladvisors.com. You really want to be lucky in life? Go help someone. God's going to smile on you. You're going to get to be incredibly lucky. We're lucky to be Americans. It's right on our currency. In God we trust. Good luck. God bless. Take care of each other. Stay safe out there. We'll see you next week. This program is sponsored by Graham Capital Advisors, LLC. Graham Capital Advisors, LLC is an independent estate planning and insurance agency. Investment advisory services are provided by Graham Capital Wealth Management, LLC, an independent registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Graham Capital Wealth Management and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. The information provided is for educational and informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice and should not be relied on as such. Individuals should consult with a qualified professional for guidance before making any purchasing decisions.